0: I'm Brandon the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message it is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, uh, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring in offering, a uh, worship gift uh, to King Jesus you can do that right on our give page on our website or via text so hope you enjoy the unpacking the unfolding of the word as we look at it together it's a good day isn't it now there's probably a bunch of you that really don't care who's in the world series you're just glad the Dodgers aren't there is anybody like that (laughs) 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 or maybe the Giants (laughs) right we're not divided here right Paul says, let my joy complete by being the same heart, same mind, same spirit, right? <laughs> well, that's a great day today and uh, beautiful weather, isn't it? Isn't it gorgeous? And there's people that pay big money to go to Maine to see the colors of the trees. I don't know why they don't come to Modesto. I mean, the colors are just spectacular down, uh, Pellende- or, no, I guess, Stanford Avenue where all the trees are planted. It's just gorgeous. Anyway, uh, good morning. We're c- concluding a series that we started a few weeks ago, uh, a little over 10 weeks ago, called Grace Transforms. In each of the f- weeks that we've had, there's two parts in it, and this is the second of the two part on the issue called Multiply, or the topic called Multiply. And we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. So if you have your Bible, whatever it is that you're using to study the Word today, if you'll turn to it and be ready for it, we're going to look at that in, in just, a, uh, just a moment. I think it's important that we look at a little bit of the background of a passage of scripture to give us an understanding of the scripture. Let me just share with you how I first encountered this. Back in 1977, we had a brand new pastor. It was called Greenwood Grace Brethren at the time. And uh, Nancy and I had just been married. We were married in 1976. And so we were a part of the youth, uh, not youth staff, there was no staff. We, We were just youth leaders at the time. we were taking kids to camp and doing some backpacking and taking young men up and studying the Bible. It was just, we were just wanted to be used to the Lord. And uh, David Seifert, who came uh, in uh, spring of 77, started a men's uh, discipleship group in the fall of 77. He invited me to participate in it. There were about 12 men. Most of the men led small groups. I was in charge of the children's ministry at the time, which was called the Iwana program. And, he had, and there's two verses that really kind of captured it. You start out with these two. The first was found in Mark chapter 3, I think it's verse 16, where it said that Jesus appointed the 12 men to be with them and to send them out to preach. And part of David's um, idea and his vision is that he would take men, train them, equip them, and then send them out. And every week at 530 in the morning on a Tuesday, we would come back and talk about how God used us and what took place in the small groups and whatnot. And we just were just growing together in Christ. So I never forgot that passage in Mark, how Jesus appointed 12 men. That was his plan, to take those few men. They're going to camp together. They're going to walk up and down Israel together. They were going to uh, walk through some grain fields together. They're going to see healings together. He empowered them and sent them out to, to preach the kingdom news as well as to heal and other things. And then he sent them out to preach. And in three years, he poured his life into those men and trusted the ministry to them, of which you and I are a part of that today. Peter shared with somebody who shared with somebody who shared with somebody who eventually shared with you. And may the Lord use you to take it to one more level. And may the Lord use them to take it to another another generation. But the second one was this passage of Scripture. And we're going to go through it. We're going to break it apart a little bit at a time. But this has characterized my life, at least I have wanted it to be, for the years and years. It was never my intention to be in ministry. That wasn't where I was wanting to be. We were involved in farming as well as a contracting business. And I thought that was going to be the extent of my life. I had no other great goals or visions beyond that. Uh, I was going to be an assistant and help to my dad. And the uh, Lord rerouted my life. And these passages of Scripture have just stuck with me as what he would want for each one of us. I think there really are two great commissions in the New Testament. You have Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Where Jesus said to his disciples, you're to go, and as you go, and wherever you go, you're to make disciples, followers of Christ. You're you're to be a part of the disciple-making, the follow-making of Christ. And we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then we're to teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded, and then he assures us he'll be with us even to the end of this age. And so I have just sense that, that is our commission: is that we're to go, be a part of the discipleship-making process, those who are following Christ, to teach them to observe, to baptize them. And, 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 and that's what God would want for each one of us. But also, it's this charge here in Timothy. So let's, let's just talk a little bit about the background. This isn't in your notes. We're going to get into your notes, but make sure you, as you take those sheets home that you look up the passages of Scripture that I'm going to refer to today, and they're not going to be uh, laid out on the screen, but we're going to be referring to many of these, and I encourage you to study it at your home and write them in your Bible and underline them so you better understand them. So there's two books. Timothy is actually mentioned 24 times in the New Testament. It's a name that shows up again and again and again and again, largely because of his relationship with Paul. You'll also see it in the book of Hebrews, the last chapter, where the writer of Hebrews says, hey, Timothy just got out of prison. He's headed your way. Greet him. I'll be there too and honor him. So Timothy, later on in life, actually is imprisoned. He actually dies a martyr death in 1895. Uh, in the town of Ephesus, significant young man. And when we are reading this passage of scripture, he's a young man. He's probably in his 20s or maybe 30s at this point in time. So Paul wrote two letters. Both of these letters were written in prison, but from two different places in prison. The first one in 1 Timothy chapter 1, you'll find that he, in, um, you'll find that he is in, under house arrest. He was chained to a Roman guard, but he was in a home. He was in a rented apartment. And people could visit him. He could talk with them. And he talked to the Roman guards. And the church of Philippi had heard about it. They had sent a messenger with some money, which enabled him to be in his little apartment. And they were really concerned. So, oh, my goodness, Paul, what's going to happen to you? You're in prison. And Paul writes in Philippians, hey, don't be discouraged. I want you to know that this is incredible what God is doing. And while I am chained here, while I'm a prisoner here, Man, the whole predatory guard is hearing about Jesus, and is going all the way into Caesar's household. So not only were the guards getting saved, but it was working away also into the servants of Caesar, which would have been Nero at the time, maybe even Nero's own household, maybe his own children or his wife, whoever else was associated with him. Nero, of course, rejected the gospel, but it, but it, was, it was amazing how God used Paul's imprisonment in Philippians 1 to say, don't be discouraged. And so he writes to Timothy while he is in prison, and he is encouraging him to, as he is um, uh, to be a young man, pastor and shepherd of the church of Ephesus well. But in 2 Timothy, he's not under house arrest anymore. He's arrested as a criminal. His case had been heard by Nero, he had been set free. Rome burned down. Nero was looking for an scapegoat, and he put it upon Christians, and Christians were um, the terrorists perceived by the Roman government. They were unloyal and unfaithful, and we need to get rid of them. They were a second-class citizen, and so if you bore the mark of Christ, if you were in a Bible study, you could be arrested and ultimately be put into the Colosseum. You could have been put to death. In some cases, they were tarred with oil and lit up as street lights for in the city of Rome. Horrible things happened to Christians. And Paul and Peter were both in prison, in the Mamertine prison, the dug- ugly dungeon And Paul knows that his time's about up. He had a hearing. You can read about that in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It didn't go well. He's chained as a criminal. And he's waiting for the final judgment. And he knows it's coming soon. And likely this will be the last. 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. And he's writing to a young man named Timothy who he dearly, dearly loves. And he's passing the baton on to Timothy. Where this is significant is what would you write to your children or to your grandchildren or to your closest friends if you, knew, if you knew that your life was short? If you had gotten news this week that you just had days or weeks or months to live, what would you write to your children, your grandchildren, your closest friends, what would you say to them? As you read this letter in 2 Timothy, understand that Paul has that in mind. And he tells Timothy in chapter 4, Timothy, please come quickly. It's almost winter. Bring my cloak. Bring me a few of my good books. But Timothy, I'd like to see you just one more time. We don't know if Timothy ever made it, but we know that shortly after he penned this letter and Timothy received it, not long after that, he was executed uh, by Roman guards. So he writes this letter out of deep love, out of deep compassion. So let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It's just two short verses. There's a whole lot in this story. Paul's a little concerned that Timothy is losing heart or, or getting a little fearful. So there's some of that flavor throughout this whole letter. But here's what he says, Paul says, that's for us today. And so he says, Timothy, you therefore my son be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these things to faithful men and it could be women who will be able to teach others also. It's as simple as that. You therefore my son, Timothy, I want you to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. The words are up on the screen. Would you say this with me? You therefore my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We're going to break this apart and look at some of the various phrases and words here because these words have incredible power and incredible meaning. And the Lord would have us today, if He were to speak to us today, He would just say to each one of us by name, Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've been hearing, from the things that are up here, I want you to trust those to others who will be able to teach others also. That's his charge. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege and opportunity here today to open your word. Quiet our hearts, Lord. Open our ears that we can hear. Open our eyes that we can see. Lord, we all have various stories and experiences, Lord, that in some ways the enemy would love to prey upon and cause us to think, Lord, that we're not useful to you. But you would find great delight in working not only in us but through us, that another generation of men and women would grow up to love you and follow you until you come home, until you call us home. And so, Lord, would you take this time, this opportunity today, and, Lord, to use it wonderfully for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. So let's just look at this phrase, these phrases here, for a little bit. First phrase: Therefore, my son, be strong. That word "be strong" is found 31 times in the Old Testament and New Testament, mostly in the Old Testament. Three times in the New Testament, 28 in the Old Testament. Be strong. Paul uses it in Ephesians 6:10, where he says, "Be strong and be strength. Be strong." In the, Strength of the Lord Jesus Christ and put on the whole armor of God. So be strong and be strengthened in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word be strong means to be invigorated, to have boldness, to have courage. In the times that it's used in the Old Testament, 17 times the word be strong is associated with one other word. You know what that word is? Be strong and what? Courageous. Over and over again. The writers in the Old Testament say, Be strong. And the Lord speaks, Be strong and be courageous. Do not be timid or afraid. Joshua 1 8 and 9. The Lord says to Joshua, Joshua, be strong. I want you to have full confidence in me, not you, in me. Do not be timid or afraid because I am with you wherever you go. And what he told Joshua back in Joshua 1 8 is what he would tell each one of us today be strong in the Lord. Have confidence, full confidence in who he is and his desire to work in and through you. Be strong and fully confident in his promises where he says, I will never leave you and I'll never desert you. Be strong and have full confidence in knowing that he has a great plan that he's gonna work out for you and whatever things are going on, he's able to work it out for a great effect to those who love him called according to his purpose. Be strong in the Lord and notice that it's in the Lord we're to be strong in. We're not talking about personal strength and a positive mental attitude. It's our focus is on the Lord. And so when we talk about being strong, we're talking about that internal strength and encouragement that comes from a relationship with the Lord. But in this verse, it says, be strong in the what? The grace that's in Christ Jesus. Amen. To be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. What does the word grace mean? It means, it's, it means it's unmerited, generous, divine favor in our life. And look at those words, unmerited, it's unwarranted. There's nothing that we've earned or deserve. It is freely given to us. His grace has been freely given to us. It wasn't because of the color of your skin or how much money you made, how much potential you had. has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do that Christ has chosen you He has reached out to you. He's knocked on the door of your heart. He has sought you when you weren't seeking him. He has come after you. Folks, it is undeserved, unmerited, and it's generous. It's generous. Whatever your view of generous is, it is too small. It is a bucket that never runs out. It is an ocean of grace that washes all over you again and again and again and again. His word says that his mercies are new every single morning. His loving kindness moves from one generation to the next. It never, ever fails. And it will endure through every generation. It will endure to your children and to your grandchildren and their children and their children after them until he comes. His grace is never, ever, ever. Ending. And that should be special to you. Because what is it in your life, in your story, that's deserving of that grace? His word says that none of us seek after Him. All of us have turned aside. All of us are unrighteous. There's not a single one of us, including me, that merits God's favor. And Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, I want you to be strong in the wonderful, generous grace that God has extended to you. And in chapter one, he reminds Timothy, Timothy, you were raised by a mom and a grandma who loved Jesus. And since a baby, you were taught the things of the word. God's hand's been upon you, Timothy. Others saw it and prayed over you. And when I visited you in Derby, and everyone says, Timothy, you need to hang out with Paul you and I traveled together you have seen God's grace wonderfully at work Timothy never forget that and folks know this it's true there's an enemy of your soul that would love to take your eyes off of the grace that's in Christ Jesus he'd love to discourage you he'd love for you to get all bound up with the things that are in your past he would love to amplify the hurts that each of you bear To magnify the the voices and the stories that have told you you're not worth anything. But in Christ, you're a child of the King. In Christ, and we're gonna see this in just a little bit, what grace has done in our life. And folks, be strong, be confident, be bold. And Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1: he says, Timothy, we have not been given a spirit of timidity but a power and love of good works from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells you, is in you, is in each of us. And the enemy would love for us to be timid. The enemy would love for us to be afraid. The enemy would love for us not to invite a neighbor. He would love for us not to say anything at work. He would love for us not to reach out and ask someone, can we pray for them? He'd love for us to be silent. He'd love for us to be backseat Christians. He'd love for us to stay in the closet. And Paul says, Timothy, don't be one of those. For Timothy, and the Holy Spirit, you have given a power of boldness and love of good works. Be that, Timothy. Don't be timid. Don't be afraid. For the Lord your God is with you. So what are the things that we have experienced in the grace of God that we ought to focus on? Now, this is a great exercise. And it can go far beyond what we do here today. What I did is I just picked out a few things that just came to my mind. It was just random thoughts as I began to thinking about the grace that I have experienced in Christ Jesus, and these are true statements, not just for me, for for each one of us that's here and for each one who are listening here today. These are things that are absolutely true. One is that in Christ, it's, and get it, in Christ, we are a new creation. Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen. Therefore. If anyone, and notice the word anyone any boy, any girl, any child, any adult, any old person, any poor person, any rich person, any broken person, anyone is in Christ, what are they? They are a new creation. The old has passed away. New things have come. And have you ever wanted a new start in your life? And maybe you're here for the first time today. And maybe this is a new message for you. But it's the message of Christ. It's the gospel. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation to all men, all women, both to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Folks, the gospel is good news to each one of us. It's the power of God manifested. It's the display of his mercy and his grace that would take someone like you and someone like me and make them brand new, giving a brand new start where the old things are passed away. And you know your story. And if we were to have time, we could hear your story. Every story in here is a little bit different. There might be some that are the same. But it's a story of regret. It's a story of shame. It's a story of brokenness. It's a story of scars. And he says, we're going to give you a new start. In fact, what's wonderful about Second Corinthians chapter 5, it says, we no longer regard what we once were. Because of Christ. Now think about that. In the days when 2 Corinthians was written. When they would baptize people. They would actually give them a new name. A Christian name. Because the old name that they had. Was often connected to a Roman or mythological God. That was filled full of idolatry. And immorality and all sorts of things. And so when they would be baptized. To show that there is a new thing happening. An old name would be gone. A new name would come. would come. And that new name would reflect their hope that they had in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? So think about your life and where you've been and the experiences that you've had and think about what the old things are that have been passed away in Christ. Isn't that cool? Isn't that wonderful? The second thing is that you and I have been wonderfully, wonderfully forgiven. We have peace with God. We have peace with him. That means that there's no distance between us. That means that he, we are no longer his enemies. That means that we have a relationship with him. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. He no longer regards my sin against him. So not only am I a new creation, which he creates in Christ, but he also established a relationship of peace where I'm not an enemy and I'm not under his wrath. I'm received as a child of his. It says, but as many as received him, to then he gave the privilege to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So I'm a child of God. I'm loved by heavenly father. And we have peace with him. And not only do I have peace with him, but he has also chosen to forgive me of all of my sin. And there's some wonderful promises, wonderful promises that says that he takes my sin, both my past, my present, and my future sin, and he nails them to the cross of Christ, and he buries them in the deepest sea. He scatters them as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. Isn't that incredible? And Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, I want you to park on this thought. I want you to park on the grace that you have experienced in Christ Jesus. And I want you to find strength and confidence and courage in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. That, Timothy, you're a new creation. You have peace with our Heavenly Father. That your sins have been forgiven and washed clean, never to be brought up anymore. One of the great parts of Luke chapter 15, which is the story of the prodigal son. This was the part of that I like is the father thinks his son has died. His son had been away, not for a few weeks, but he had been away for an extended period of time, so much time, that his father, who had not heard anything from his son, thought that his son was dead. Until one day, he sees the sun coming over the horizon, and instantly, probably through the Holy Spirit, he recognized, that's my son coming home. And he runs to meet him. And folks, this is a wonderful picture of what we just talked about. His son, who had been away for a long, long time, who lost everything that he had, I think comes home. The Bible doesn't say this. This is my imagination. But I think he comes home in rags, the rags of which were the brand new new special clothes, the signature clothes that he went away from. And these clothes that were the best of the best because his father was wealthy are now tattered and soiled And ripped, and they stink like pigs. And the father embraces them. And what the father says to me is just absolutely remarkable. My son's home. Kill the fatted calf. My son, who was once dead, is now alive. We need to celebrate. You know what you don't hear? You don't hear the father saying, about time you came home. I told you this would happen. Look at those clothes. You stink like a pig. Where in the world have you been? What would you do with all the money? And a thousand other questions he could have asked and shamed and scolded. And the reason that story is there is for each one of us to know that you'll never hear those words coming from your heavenly father who has seen everything, who has known everything, he knows your thoughts, he knows where you've been, you know every story, and he knows what nobody else knows. And Paul says in Romans 8, well, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Folks, that is grace. And it's flowing out of a bucket that has no end to it. And Paul tells Timothy, park on that. Find strength and courage in that find boldness in that to know that you have been loved and received and forgiven and not only that he says we're his chosen people we're his representatives he wants to use our story can you imagine that the story that you regret the story that whatever shame you might have the story and we all have various levels of these kinds of stories but he wants to use every one of us and he says you're my chosen people I came after you I love you. You are a wonderful display of my grace. That's what he says. Isn't that remarkable? That he could use someone like me, whose greatest aspirations was to be a farmer or whatever it was or whatever you, wherever you are at? And he says, yes, I want to use you right where you are at. And there's an incredible promise in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, that says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor mind has imagined what God has in store for those who love him. Think about that. You have no idea what the Lord wants to do through your life. You have no idea. Never underestimate the small things. The story of the boy, little boy sack lunch and the gospel accounts where Jesus fed 5,000, you know what that's about? I mean, it really happened that five to ten, maybe 15,000 people were fed out of a little boy's lunch that his mommy had packed for him. They had a few fish and a few loaves of bread. It's a story about us, of what God can do when we give him all that we got, however big or small it is, and say, Lord, can you use this? And he says, you betcha. Because who would have imagined? Who could have imagined? The disciples didn't. (laughs) She said, we got this. All we could find is a little sack lunch. That's all we got. Really, Jesus, you've got to send them out and let them go find their own stuff. He said, no, I can take this. Lord, would you bless us? And five, 10, 15,000, depending on how many men and women it children, 5,000 men, many of them had wives, many of them had kids, all were fed with 12 baskets of food left over because it went through the hands of the master. Imagine what the Lord could do for us, through us, in us, if we said, Lord, this is all I got. My story is not much of a story. I can use it, right where you are at. That is the mighty grace of God. So Paul says next as you park and as you focus on the grace of God and you find strength and hope in it, here's what I want you to do. I want you, Timothy, now to entrust to faithful men and women what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. The things you've heard I want you to pass on to somebody else. So, the question is is what have we been hearing these last several weeks? Because these things the Lord has been entrusting to each one of us. So, what has He entrusted to us? A number of weeks ago, we spent two weeks. We've been talking about how significant it is to believe, the necessity of belief. Jesus said that I am the way, the only way. I am the way, the only way. I'm the truth, the only truth. No one can come to the Father but through me. There aren't a dozen ways to get to get to heaven. There's only one, it's through Jesus Christ. There's no other, there's there's no other way. Your good works, no way. They're like filthy rags before a holy and righteous father. I've shared with the last few, there's a I had an opportunity a number of years ago to travel to Chicago quite frequently. I was a part of a graduate school program. And um, there's, a, there's a, a, a temple called the Baha'i Temple just outside of Chicago. And uh, Phil told me it was in Evanston, Illinois. Beautiful, beautiful temple. Took a bunch of years to build. Beautiful gardens. But there's nine doors, each representing what they think is nine ways to heaven. Folks, I'm going to tell you, there's only one door that works, and that's Christ. I am the way, the only way. I am the truth, the only truth. I am the life, the only life. No man, no woman, no child, no grandparent, no rich man, no poor man can come to the Father but through me. Paul says that if we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be saved. There's no other way. And that word confess and that word believes means that I have crossed the line I am all in. I embraced him not only as my savior, but my Lord. He is the captain of my ship. So when you read Psalm 23 tonight, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the captain of my ship. He's the one who, he's my Uber driver. (laughs) He is behind the steering wheel of my life. And because of who he is, I got everything I need. He's the one who walks with me through the valley of the shadow of death. He's the one that never leaves me, never deserts me. And for several weeks, we talked about how important it is. Because if you have not put your trust and your relationship in Christ Jesus, if you not have embraced him, you're not saved. And there will come a time where you will see him. You will stand before him. And, and Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, that every eye will behold him, every eye will see him, and every knee will bow, and every tongue on heaven and on earth and under earth will confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. Your most atheistic friend will see Jesus, and his tongue will confess, and her tongue will confess, and her knee will bow, and his knee will bow, that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's the last act that they will do. And he has places in neighborhoods. He has places in workplaces. He has places in in relationships and in hobbies that people might see Jesus. And Paul says in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Folks, it is the power of God that brings salvation to all men. Both to the Jew and the Greek first. I mean, it is, folks, it brings life. It brings freedom. It brings joy. It calls people out of darkness into light. Boy, shame on us if we are afraid to talk about that. And if the enemy has a hold of our tongue and if we're timid and we don't see our neighbors through Jesus' eyes, God help us. So, for two weeks, we talked about the importance of belief. And then, for two weeks, we talked about the significance of our story in people's lives, the influence that you and I have, the importance and power of that influence. When, when we come into Christ, something changes. We're, we're born again. And we become like a lighthouse is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. You are like a light that you don't put under a bushel. Light penetrates darkness. Some of you may be the only Christian in your workplace. And that hiring was not by accident. It wasn't because you had a great resume. God opened the door and he put you in it. I'm praying right now that God would bring somebody into my daughter's life. Because I know they're out there. I'm, I'm praying that God would bring a spirit-filled young man, young woman into my daughter's life and speak to her. And you might be that person that, that some mom and dad is praying for as he puts you in the workplace, as he puts you in a neighborhood. Not only are we to be light, we're to be salty. He, God has a great intent. And folks, it's not us. It's him. It's his Holy Spirit that is in us, that works in us and through us to accomplish his purposes. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not me. It's him. It's all glory and power goes to him. So none of us can boast. We just want to say, Lord, here am I. Here's my little sack lunch. Can you, can you use me? These are things that we talked about. These are things that we heard. And also, folks, there is great value in our story. And we talked about what it means to win somebody to Christ. And what what the Lord does is that he uses our story as, as, as an attraction that draws people to him. Pastor Rick, when we were in this section of the series, shared, if the Lord answered all that you prayed for yesterday or today, my wife and I get up at 6 o'clock every morning and we spend about an hour together in reading the word in prayer, that's just the habit we're not having kids in our home so it's a little easier for us to do that and so there's quite a bit of time we spend in prayer together, as husband and wife and if you're doing that in your home if the Lord answered your prayers that, the, that, the, that you prayed for this last week or today or whenever how many people would have gotten saved this week if it answered your prayers is there anyone that you are regularly going before the Lord, crying out for the Lord, and praying that God would do a special work in their life? So there's so many times that we are praying. The things that mean something to us. It's good to pray for a job. It's good to pray to help pay the bills. But boy, you can be fully debt free and go to hell. Right? And those things kind of come and go. But I know as my wife and I are praying that we're praying for people that I think that not even a mother is praying for. Friends of our children, we're praying for neighbors. I'm not sure that anyone else is praying for, and maybe that's what God has called you to do. Lift them up before the Lord, and he has strategically placed you that you might bring them into his presence because he wants to do a work in you and through you, and maybe this is where it really starts. As God desires to defeat the enemy and open doors of opportunity in people's lives. Never underestimate your story and how God wants to use it. But there's also a necessity where we um, are equipped and we prepare ourselves to be used by the Lord. Uh, We we need to study the word of God. We need to know what, even for ourselves, we need to have the word speak into our own lives to to refine us. And every time that I read and every time that I study, I, I know the Lord is chiseling me and shaping me to become more like him and so it's necessary that we prepare ourselves. Paul says that we need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, we need to put on the whole armor of God to stand against the attacks of the enemy. So we need to have the helmet of salvation. We need to excellently know where we stand with the Lord. We need to have the breastplate of righteousness. We need to have a belt of truth. We need to have lives of integrity. We need to have feet ready to go. And we need to have that shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is what? It's the word of God you have a short sword or a long sword? Are you really able to handle the word of God because the enemy would love to deceive you, love to trick you, love to get us distracted, love to discourage us? And that shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, man, it is our salvation. It is the tools that he gives us to stand strong for him. That's what he wants to do in each of our lives. That's why we have things like this. why we have classes that we do is that you would grow in your relationship with Christ. Peter says, be strong, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Make that your life aim, that you would spend your life growing and understanding of the grace of Christ Jesus in your life and the knowledge of who he is and what he wants to do through each of us. And lastly, there are miracles that he wants to do in each of our lives, and it's the miracle of our obedience. The miracle of what happens when he works, when we just say yes to him. That reflects back to 2 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9 where you can't begin to imagine and craft out the story that God wants to do through each of our lives. But, but when we say yes to him and we step up and are saying, Lord, I'm available, well, watch what happens. This last, um, a few weeks ago, Nancy and I uh, needed to be in Oregon. We had a memorial service that we were asked to be a part of. And uh, it it was attended by a 100 or so people. And and after it was done, a couple came up to us. And as soon as I saw them, I instantly knew who they were. They had been a part of Big Valley back in 1981. I had just come on staff at that time. And uh, Mark was um, a part of the medical uh, community here in Modesto. And he uh, was a um, pretty significant guy in one of the hospitals, a well-educated man, had grown up in church, and attended Big Valley. And in those days, back in 1981, we endeavored to try to visit everyone who visited Big Valley. And Mark and his wife had signed a card saying they'd like a visit. And so we were there by invitation. And uh, three of the people, two that I know, I don't know who the third one was, um, went there to get to know them, but asking the Lord also, Lord, would you give us an opportunity to maybe ask them a couple questions to discern where they're at with you? And so after they listened to Mark's story for a little bit, uh, Gert LeMay, who's a good friend of mine, said, Mark, can I ask you a couple questions? He said, yeah. He said, Mark, if, if something were to happen to you tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? And here's a gentleman that was in his 30s at that time, been in church most of his life, and he said to me just a few weeks ago, no one had ever asked me that question. No one had ever asked me that. In all of his church experience, he had never thought about that question. And he said, Man, I don't know. So I don't know. I don't know if I'd go to heaven. And Chris said, can I ask you another question? Well, Mark, if you, if you, if you were to stand before the Lord and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? Mark, what would you say? And he said, hey, I was just dumbfounded. I said, I don't know what I'd say. Can I share with you? Yeah. And Mark and his wife gave their life to the Lord that night. The next day, my friend who was on this team, who we're so close to today, called Mark up and said, Mark, would you like to study the book of John with me? Yeah, I would. And Mark and Dave began his journey together, studying the word together. And you ought to see Mark and his wife today. They just beam with the joy in Christ. He says, that night changed my life. Those are two questions that any one of us could ask those that we're close to. And there will be plenty of opportunity. There's things that happen all the time, unexpected. It's in the news I've been, in relation, I've been in situations when I worked outside of Big Valley of Grace where it just was really easy to say, Man, if, that, if you'd have been in that mall, do you know if you would have gone to heaven that day? If you had been in that school, something like that had happened to you, and I hope it never does, can you were to stand before the Lord, what would you say? Those are two questions any one of us can ask that the Lord can use, even today in our lives as we talk with people. What's really kind of humorous. Right after Mark and his wife got saved, they started tithing. $5 a week or something like that, $5 a month. It was a real small amount. And his wife says, you know, honey, I think we, we need to do better than that. We need to go to six. And he just thought that was outrageous. <laughs> and they started attending a finance class that we, we hold here several times a year. They were deeply in debt. And in three years' time, by the grace of God, they got completely, totally out of debt by applying biblical principles to their life. And today, they're serving the Lord wonderfully up outside of Salem, Oregon. It is amazing. It was an amazing story. We talked to them for an hour, and I couldn't believe how such a small little thing that seemed really small at the time that God used in a wonderful way. If you were to know these people, they're not bold people. They aren't the type A personality people. They aren't the shakers and the movers they're just humble people, and it probably took a lot of effort for them to go out that night because when, when you do things like this, there's always a reason why you shouldn't go. The car doesn't work, the tire's flat, bad day at work, kids sick. There's always, it's always an excuse to those teams to say, today's not a good night for him to go. And they pressed through that, and God had an incredible thing planned for them. So, for the last several weeks, you've heard Joel say the mission of our church is threefold. And I'm going to suggest it should be fivefold. One is we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Right? That's the greatest commandment. Everything we do here at Big Valley Grace should be about Jesus. Our worship, our study of him, always be about him. Secondly, we should be committed to loving people like God loves them. We should be kind and generous to them as we have received kindness and generosity from the Lord. For Christ's sake, we are this way. And we should consider their needs more important than our own. We should lay our life down. There's no greater love than this, the man who lays down his life for his friend. And so we lay our life down. We lay our homes down. We lay our cars down because it all belongs to him. And he's given it for his glory. And the third thing is that we should all be about making disciples. And the word disciples means followers of Christ. That wherever we go and as we go whatever we do, That we are part of the the disciple-making, the teaching process that helps people grow in their relationship to Christ. But here's the other two parts. Big Valley Grace, and each one that's in it. It's not not the staff's job, but it's each one of us. Not only would we love God with all our heart, not only would we love people more than ourselves, not only would we be involved in the disciple-making process, but we are making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. (laughs) And this process, this generational process goes on and on and on and on and on. So one of the things that I have been doing as a part of my ministry for a number of years is I have a box of these silver batons. And I've given them out to all of our home group leaders. And I've challenged them, this is not for you to keep. This is for you to give away. So I put my name on it, I put a date on it, and I say, when you give it away, you put your name and your date on it and you challenge them as they have been entrusted this baton that they are to do the very same thing. And when you've given one away, you come and talk to me, and I'll give you another one. And they'll give you a gold one. You keep the gold, you pass the silver. Now here's what would be cool. And not that I would ever see it. But in your homegoing ceremony, there's a whole bunch of batons come home. And on the batons, there's a person who's Life is being celebrated with dozens of other names. Where one story has connected to another story is connected to another story, connected to another story by the grace of God. If you want a baton, just ask me. But that's the call of each of us is to make disciples. And that study of John, I got a bunch of packets. I'd love to give you a packet that you could take somebody through. It's really simple. It just asks simple questions. There's 13 lessons you take a person through. Shoulder to shoulder, you help them understand the Bible, it is life-changing, life-transforming. We have a bunch of resources on the Internet through the Equip link, and you can find that if you go to a Big Valley website. That will help you to disciple somebody, to grow in your own relationship. That will teach apologetics. It's all there. We even have our own channel called Big Valley Grace for leadership, development, and other things. It's all there for you. We have no excuse. It's all there. So wouldn't it be something that this next year, an answer to prayer that the Lord would give to each one of us one person that we can disciple, that we can help grow in their relationship with Christ. And next year, they do what we did, and we do it again. And so now there are four people. There's two trainers, there's two others that are teaching. And the year after that, now there's eight. And after that, just to, can you imagine what would happen in our community if... One after another, after another are helping people grow in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And I know that's what He wants us to do. And so, the things that you've heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, folks, let's go and trust it to others who will be able to do others also. Nancy and I are going to be right here in the front. We'd love to meet with you, love to pray with any of you. Uh, we're going to have a group of people over there on the altar. If, if you want to have longer conversations, um, go over there and I know there's people that love to pray with you and carry the burdens with you, but may the Lord bless you today. It doesn't end here, does it? This is just the beginning of what the rest of the week is going to look like, right? By the power of God's grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your good work. Thank you, Lord, that you are sufficient in all things. We lean upon you, we rest upon you, our trust is in you, and I'm grateful, Lord, that it's all you. The battle belongs to you, not to us. You're just wanting a yes response from us. You want us. You're just inviting us to join you in the work that's going on all around us. And so Lord, today, we want to keep our eyes upon you, not stuck in the past, but what's ahead in the future for your glory. So Lord, you bless us, continue to use us, Father, for, that, for the day that you are most honored. In Jesus' name, amen.